Get here. a chair if you want to. That's all I was saying. All right, guys, let's, let's try to stay, if you can, in an attitude of worship. Just get the chair and come back. And we're going to have some time for ministry. All right, guys, here we go. All right, this is a note-taking church, so why don't you guys go ahead and take out your notes, notebooks. There's free ones over here if you need some. Does anybody need a notebook, or I suppose you could take it on your phone. That's fine, too. Um, We have one over there. All right. Here you go. All right, and then, let's see. Anybody else need one? No? Okay. We do not have the projector today, so we're just going to do this old school. So you're going to have to actually use your Bible uh, to go to those. And I love, guys, this is going to be fun because I love the sound of 100 people, 200 people flipping to the right passage. Makes for a glorious sound. Um, You could put on the title... International God, International Church, Part One. (laughs) That it's always been, let me just pray first and then we could get in. Father, we thank you that we had such a sweet, sweet time in your presence this morning. Really was. You can just sense the the people's tenderness towards you and the needs that are in the room. 
You know, and he times that by the billions of people around the globe. I can't help but think of the Uyghur people in China who are being tortured and persecuted as Muslims, not even as Christians, for their faith because of the Chinese government, communist government. I can't help but think of the people who are being persecuted in many different places in the Middle East or the different places around the world the brokenness, the hurt, the, even close to home here, the domestic violence that happens every night, or the brokenness, the loss, the pain. But yet you hear. You hear the cries of your people. And I thank you, Lord, that even though there are people in this room that we're praying for, perhaps lost loved ones, or just situations that we are just out of control. We don't have any control over it. But yet you hear. You hear our voice. And then you also hear the billions of other voices. And the millions of other voices that call you God internationally. The many different types and faces and languages that you hear in don't even even have to interpret because you know every language because you created every language. You are a glorious, amazing, big God. And you're worthy to be worshipped. And God, as we get into Acts 10 this morning, one of the more glorious passages of the Bible that really shows how international you really are. It shows your heart for all people. But you also show us that there's only one way of salvation for the Jews and the Gentiles. And that you show, even though you show no partiality, you still demand that we come to you the same way. There are truly one church, one body, called out for you and your purposes to fulfill them until the end of age until you come back for us. And I pray that you open up our minds. Without revelation, we'd never have the Bible. But without illumination, we'll never understand it. So help us to understand your word this morning in such a way that would truly transform every part of our being so that we might live it and that we might share it with others. In Jesus' name, amen. His presence is so good, isn't it? I love these times where we get out of our normal routine. and It's just so awesome to see the tenderness in the room. There's a lot of tenderness, and that is a, a really a glorious thing that only God can do. As I was praying for different people in the room, just the, the, all the brokenness, but yet I was still not overwhelmed. In the human sense, I was. But then, it's classically written in the Bible, but God. <laughs> but God is so big. 
And if I think that this prayer that I'm praying for somebody else is just so overwhelming, you know, it's not overwhelming for God because he's listening to billions of people. Maybe they don't know him. Most of the world doesn't. But they're crying out for the things that they're going through. And he wants to help. He wants a church. He wants a colorful church. And I I believe this morning that what we're going to see today is we're going to see another side of God that perhaps we've never seen before. That we know and practice to some degree, but we have to have a theological basis for why we say the things that we say. And I think this morning that it's going to be a little bit more, it's a narrative, so we'll move quickly through the passages, 48 verses. But it'll give us a theological understanding of why it's so important that we open up the doors to all ethnic groups, to all people. Because God truly is an international God. And God wants an international church. And I would not want to be a part of anything else. And I know you don't either. What a glorious thing. There, Jesus grieves at the intolerant exclusivism of in the church that we see today. But what I want to make is a distinction this morning, which I think is really good. I want to move a little slower in speech so that you can catch up. I know I move fast a lot because you, we don't have a projector, so we're going to need... You're going to need your Bibles today for sure. We're going to just slowly go through them so you could see for yourself. So it'll be more of a teaching than preaching. Tomorrow will be a little more faster paced. But Jesus hates bigotry. He hates partiality. He, he, he prayed early on, John 17, 21, that they would be one. Just as you, he's praying, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. You know, of course, he was only, at the time, he was dealing with Jewish people. He was dealing with the 12 disciples. He was with them. This is moments before he died, but moments before the Last Supper. But you know that inside this God-man, Jesus, he was dreaming of an international church. He was hoping that they would one day get, as he was praying, he was praying that, oh, I believe that one day the Ethiopians would be a part of the church. And in Acts 8, it was fulfilled. He believed one day the Samaritans wouldn't have this rough, this, 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 you know, this division anymore, that one day they would be one church. And it happened in Acts 8. One day that this rift between the Gentiles and the Jews, one day it would be taken care of. That, those barriers, those walls, that dam would break. And then they would be one church. How many know when, when Jesus prays, it gets answered? He was believing for an international church before it started. He was truly the prophet. He's the prophetic one. And he was believing that one day, Galatians 3.28, when Paul wrote this, neither is ne- there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Perhaps this is 
even more than any time before, we need this message in our culture. That we need the clarity of not only the gospel message, which this will clearly show in Acts 10, but we need also the clarity of who the Holy Spirit is and how he joins us together. But we also equally need clarity in the international church and how people groups all come together and that when you have even a thought as small as it might be of prejudice in your heart, he's not happy. That is never his heart. What happened in the 1960s? What happened in in the Jewish times in the first century? That was never, ever, ever his heart. What happened in the 1800s? It was never his heart. In his mind, there's no borders. Political, the political map, yes, while there is borders on earth because of the brokenness in heaven, there will be no borders. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, but there will be no political maps in heaven. You won't find one. We might talk about Louisiana and the state of Washington. We might talk about the Germany and Iraq or Afghanistan or Indonesia. Maybe that's language to say, that's where I'm from to get to know someone in heaven. But I'll tell you what, there will be no borders. There will be no need for a passport because we can roam free with all sorts of different people. How boring would it be in heaven if there's just only one type? How boring would it be if it was just Jews, no Gentiles? Because by the way, we're all Gentiles. We're all grafted in. We should all be praising God that somehow we're a part of his glorious plan. That's what keeps us humble. And the Jews too, because they never earned the call that they received in Genesis 12 with Abraham. You know, so far we see in the scriptures uh, thus far, there's a breakthrough between the Jews and the Samaritans, but there is still much division between the Jews and Gentiles. There's lots of it. And it was even more intense. Turn with me to Jonah 3, 10. To 4, 4, Jonah 3 is very short. Jonah 3, 10 to 4, 4. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them. And he did not do it, but it greatly displeased Jonah. See, God didn't judge Nineveh the way he should have. He put a wedge in between his wrath and the people and used the tool of Jonah just as he used the tool of Jesus in the New Testament. But this displeased Jonah. He became really angry. This sets the stage for where we're about to go. He prayed to the Lord and said, please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Is this not why I fled to go to Tarshish, far from the Ninevites. For I knew that you are gracious and compassionate. God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life. Kill me. 
for death is better to me than life. I can't bear the fact that you've shown grace to our enemies, the Gentiles. Such hatred. But yet God still said, I'm gonna use you despite that. Because see, God had a bigger plan, much bigger than Jonah's prejudice. God actually wanted to save people that were not like the Jewish people. God always made Abraham a blessing to the nations, not the nation of Israel. He loves Israel. We, should, we have the Israel flag. My daughter was taking it down because they needed to make a little makeshift nursery. And I said, oh, we need to make sure we have that flag up at all times. We need to care for the Jews. We need to love the Jews. We need to pray for the Jews. Because without the Jews, we have no salvation message. But God's plan was much bigger, always much bigger than just saving the Jews. It was much bigger than the, the, the religion of Judaism. It wasn't about Judaism. It wasn't about their dietary laws. It was not about all their rules and regulations. It was always about a family. That's why we talk about family so much here. You're like, family, family, family. Okay, that's all I got, family, family. Don't mock family. This is God's plan. Perhaps maybe you're frustrated with the talk of family because you're not experiencing it. But don't ever mock his plan. Family is his plan. Always. That's why he created us. Even before, far before the salvation message, the whole reason why he created Adam and Eve and said be fruitful and multiply is because he wanted family. He loves moms and dads and children. It was always a part of his plan to reproduce the glory of God on the earth. In fact, that's how you destroy the works of the devil, by living out that plan to be fruitful and multiply. He hates humankind, the devil. And the way we mock him daily is to represent his family on the earth, an international one. God wanted to expand the church to the nations and he did that through the Ethiopian eunuch, but there was so much more that God had planned. It was easy to see that there was a Gentile conversion because, oh, he would just go back to Ethiopia. He'd be with them. Oh, just go back to Ethiopia. Don't be, there was no vision and even in Simon's mind, on Simon, Philip's mind. There was no vision in Philip's mind for an international church. He just, just go be with your own people. We'll be with our people, you be with your people. It was a start, but it wasn't the fullness of God's plan Go to Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. But it was beginning, the, the dam was beginning to break. It was beginning to break at Acts 9 when Peter stayed with a tanner. And last weekend we talked about that the Jews despised the tanner because they, they dealt with animal skins, dead animal skins. And it was, they, they just wouldn't even go in the house of a Gentile. Jews occasionally would invite Gentiles into their house. We see that in the Gospels. But never 
would you go into a Gentile house? It just unheard of. You would be defiled. In fact, when they would go to the stores and then the markets, if they bought from a Gentile, they would go home and they would wash their utensils and go through some ceremonial washing so that they would not eat from a defiled utensil in their kitchen. In fact, the, the, the whole idea of the dusting of the sandals, like when they shake the dust off their sandals, that came from, you know, in the gospels when it says that when you go share the gospel and they don't accept. What they're saying is when people would go through, the, the, the Jews would go through Gentile cities, they would, after, they would pick up Gentile dirt. And when they finally got home, they would shake off this Gentile dirt and say, enough of that. They'd wash the scum away. And God was just, he was tired of it. It was never his plan. And we'll talk later as we get into this, the difference between, because I know the question's gonna come up, the, the dietary plans versus the, the, the laws, the, the, the ethnic laws versus the moral laws that never change. The ethnic laws always are, they're going to change. In fact, they were only meant to be temporary and the Jews always added more to it because they absolutely, they, you know, there are certain laws that we love because it benefits us, right? And it benefited the Jews because of their hatred and they took it too far. But listen to what Paul says. This is the story shows us the foundation for the unity in the church. Ephesians 2, 11 to 22, read with me. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ and excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, Having no, pro, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Now listen, you might want to underline, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing his flesh, the enmity which is the law of the commandments contained in the ordinance, so that in himself he might make, listen, the two into one new man, thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put, put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away in peace to those who were near, Gentiles, Jews. For though, or for through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are the house, God's household. Can you imagine what this must have felt like for the Gentiles to hear this? Oh, we get to know God. Like I always thought this was your God. This can be my God. Like I can hear his voice. Like I can read his word. Like I can be a part of the purposes. Yes, Absolutely. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building are being fitted together 
is growing into the holy temple of the Lord and whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. What a glorious passage. You know, there's two parts to this story. One, this is part one about the international church and how he's beginning to unify. But what we want to focus on today, and I think I want to be really clear about this, but the clarity of the salvation message. Guys, when we go out, listen to how each other talks when you share the gospel. Evaluate with a loving mind, a discerning mind, a mind of wisdom. But let me tell you what the gospel is not. It is not, bam, God loves you. That's not what the gospel message is. I mean, it's partial. I suppose someone could come in and be saved by you telling them that God loves you in addition to the entirety, the whole gospel message. But certainly no one could be saved by hearing God loves you. No one. No one. Because you have to hear the whole story. Guys, what I want more than ever, it's not, look, if my motivation to you this morning was, oh, I just want the message to be right. That's a secondary. Primary. Oh, how I want to see genuine salvations. Don't you? I'm tired of superficial Christianity. I'm tired of seeing people abandon their faith. I'm tired of seeing people just name the name of Jesus and turn their back on him because someone ticks them off, rubs them the wrong way. <laughs> I've been rubbed the wrong way my whole life. The last 20 years, I've been rubbed the wrong way. And if I thought this message was an option, I might have abandoned it. But it's not. It's not an option. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. There's no way you can get to the Father except through him. I'm like Peter half the time. You know, Jesus is like, are you leaving too? There's nowhere else to go. I don't know where else to go. There's no other salvation but through him. And I'm not embarrassed to say that. Romans 1.16, there's, there's no shame in the gospel message. I'm not ashamed of it. Why? Because it is the power of God. It saved my life. I'm undeserving. I want to see genuine salvations. I, I do. I, I just want to see radical salvations like this. I want to be prepped. I want to be a part of being prepped. I want to see God prep somebody, and I want to see him prep me, and I want to see the two come together. I want us to see it come together day by day by day by day. I, I, want, to be, I want to have a divine setup every day. Write that down. I, I want to be a part of his plan. I, I want to see him move. We always say that. I want to see God move. You can. On his terms. On his terms. I want a strong church. Can I just keep going? This is what I I, I want a strong church that knows the word of God. I want people that are like, this is false. What are we doing here? (laughs) That's sin, but it could be dealt with. 
I want people that are not ashamed. We need to go through church discipline because that actually helps people. I want people that if they hear something different, like, wait a second, in the name of righteousness and truth, they call it out. Because in a day where it's deemed wrong to tell the truth or not kind to tell the truth, in the gospel, it's only kindness because it's the kindness that leads people to repentance, right? Amen. <laughs> Maybe we should come to Tampa more often. <laughs> but let's go to Acts 10. It's 48 verses. But it is a narrative. It's a great story. Ah, oh, the lovely sound. Isn't it great? I love that sound. It's much better than the silence of a phone. Um, Acts 10. Now... If you're taking notes, number one is God's preparation in salvation. Now we're going to hit these themes over and over again until you get it, until it's drilled deep down in our being. So it's not John said it, but the Bible said it. It's not about what I say. That's the most obnoxious thing in a church. Well, John said this, really. John's human. But the Bible's living way, way after I'm long gone. The Bible says, contrary to many megachurch pastors who say, never say the Bible says. Really? You might as well step down from the pastorate now. Save yourself from judgment later. Because that is not okay to not say the Bible says because we're afraid of hurting people. The lost things and grace saves. We need it. We need the truth. It sets us free. We need to hear the Bible over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. It's not a one time deal. We need it every day. But God's salvation begins with Him, no question. Now there was a man at Caesarea. He's about 30 miles north of Joppa. And there's a man named Cornelius, a centurion who is called the, the Italian and what was called the Italian cohort. So basically what happened is in every Roman legion, there's about 6,000 soldiers. And basically they were kind of divided up into about 600 cohorts of men. And there's a, the centurion was supervising century and is a hundred it was a over a hundred men which is about 60 cohorts or, or, or roughly uh, in in that and so he's a very important man so there's about 60 of these centurions who had a very important position and one of them was cornelius and he was a devout man he was uh, a god fear which just means he abandoned his his pagan roman religion so he wasn't saved yet but he was a a man who uh, would say with a term of feared God rather than feared the Roman pagan gods, the plurality, the system of many gods that they had during that time. He was different. He was set apart, but he was not saved. He didn't know God. He didn't know Jehovah God. He, he stopped short basically of true, uh, true proselyte to Judaism, which means he didn't get um, circumcised, which who can blame him? Cornelius uh, was 
a devout man, meaning that he gave alms and prayed continually, basically was like, hey, I have no other option. I might as well take this one. How many on the earth are like that? Well, I'm not going to be a Muslim, certainly not. I'm, I'm not going to be a Hindu or into Hinduism. I mean, there's too many to keep up with. And perhaps, I, I don't know anything about, I mean, I'm not going to sit there with a rake and sand all day long, my goodness, uh, with Buddhism. And so there's, you know, maybe this is the best one out of many. And, and, and certainly maybe he, this is, and it's a very appealing, right? To, I mean, it, it's basically our politicians are like that. They go to church, they make themselves look good. There's, it, there's a level of morality that keeps everybody safe for the most part. You don't kill and murder and steal. You know, there's uh, commit adultery. I mean, there's some good things with Christianity. It's better than perhaps the other options. It's kind of how you look at it. All right, let's pick up in verse three. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have been ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a man named Simon a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. And after he had explained everything to him to them, he had sent them to Joppa. You know, salvation, we're going to hit on this again and again and again, but salvation is initiated by God is not initiated by man. Certainly we do not wake up one day and say, well, maybe we need a religion or maybe we need God. I mean, some do, but God's beginning to work in that person because they're dead and dead people can't do anything but smell, right? They can't speak. They only smell and they deteriorate. I mean, I don't mean to be graphic, but that's the only thing that they can do. Ephesians 2, 1 to 4 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, who's the devil, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. The spirit of God is not working through the average man. The devil is. It's the spirit of disobedience. Why are we surprised at the news? We shouldn't be, right? Every news, you're like, oh, you know, you go to work and we're like, it's just so, the news is so depressing. Why are you surprised? You just ask him, why are you surprised? I don't know. Why'd you ask me that? I don't know why I did. But you know, the, if we understand who's behind the news, then we're not at all shocked at why there's such a mess, right? There's no shock. So the spirit of disobedience working through mankind, he's the one that is behind. And among them, we too 
we are a part of that group in which the spirit of disobedience was working through. To all formerly who lived in the lust of our flesh, I mean, certainly we were indulging, indulgence in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, corruption. We were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, love that, being rich in mercy. It's just a hint and saying, if you had any change in your life, it was because but God. Because of his great love with which he loved us. Of course, there's God loves us. Why do we start with God, lo- God loves us when it's last in this sentence? Why are we afraid to say that you are a child of wrath? I mean, it's an obvious answer. <laughs> we don't want the weird looking face that comes back at us after you say that. Or in Japan, they might run from you. <laughs> Which is what I would probably do if someone told me that. Unless God was working in me. And I needed to hear that. And he ordained me f- to hear that. I would cling to it. I would know it's true. I would agree with him or her. John 1, 12 to 13, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name and who are born not of blood, meaning the natural birth, nor of the will of the flesh, meaning that one day I wake up and desire to be saved, nor the will of man, but of God, but of God. You know, the whole Christian religion could be summed up, but God. Because every other religion on the planet, you know, by the way, there's only two religions on the planet. And every other religion, it starts with, but man. You're in your sin, you're in your problems, you have all this stuff going on in your life, but man, you could do something. You could do something about it. You can actually change. There's only one religion that's true, and it starts with but God, and you need him because he's the only one that can change your life. And that pricks the pride of man to the core. John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. So it works together. That is literally the passage that shows you God's sovereignty and human responsibility coming together. Ephesians 1, 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Before the foundation of the world. Guys, let me just say this right now. We are not a reformed church. And we're not a charismatic church. We're God's church. And I think that's really important because we're not looking at the scriptures with our theology lenses. I don't care what anybody tells you. People come, so we're a reformed church? It's like they were looking for a fight. No, we're God's church. I'm just simply reading the Bible. 
while you're reading your theology book. With the Bible, I could come up with a theology book. Right? That's fair. But we don't have our theology lens on, our glasses, and we look at how we interpret Scripture. We interpret it through a literal, grammatical, historical context. That's how we interpret it. Not theology. And that's important because otherwise we'll have lots of arguments. We'll have stumbling blocks. But there is no stumbling block when the word is preached without theology. Does that make sense? It's clear. Acts 13, 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. So there is this aspect of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Isaiah 55, 5, or I'm sorry, I'm so rattles off the tongue so nicely, doesn't it? 55, 6, and 7, after 5, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So when you look at this passage, you're not like, oh gosh, there's a contradiction. What do I do? No, there's paradoxes in the Bible. And you take these two together and you say, oh, if I can seek God, he's already working. And if he's working, I can seek God. Simple. I don't know why it's so complicated for people. I don't know why. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. That's true. But equally true is Ephesians 1, 4. John 7, 17, this is key, and this is key for all of us, even while we're saved. If anyone is willing, keyword willing, if anyone is willing to do his will, willing is key, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. Why is it that Proverbs say that wisdom is the, 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 the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? Because fear of the Lord is saying, well, he's Lord, I'm willing to obey him, access to all wisdom. Why there's fools literally running and roaming the earth today is because there's very little, fool, uh, little, little fear of the Lord. Very little. And fear of the Lord is a wonderful gift to all of us. It doesn't just keep us from evil, although the Bible says that. But you know what one area of the fear of the Lord that many people forget or maybe they don't see it clearly is the peace of God. Without the fear of the Lord, we have, a, we have every right to be anxious because we don't know who or believe who controls the earth. We don't know how it's going to end. We don't know his word. But those who know his word, those who know the commands, those who know that there's grace available, they know that they know that they, know, they can sleep at night because they know God is in control. There's such peace to those who have the fear of the Lord.
All right, verse, uh, verse 9. So the second part of this is not just that God is preparing. Are we going at a good pace? I'm trying to slow down. <laughs> but the, the Cornelius was being prepared, but also Peter. And I believe today that let's believe today that there are people in Tampa that are being prepared now. And right now you're being prepared. And you'll see this amazing transformation happen on the streets today. All right, verse nine. On the next day, as they were in their way, or on their way, and approaching the city, Peter went up to, on the, mount, on the house, mountaintop, on the housetop, but the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. Well, while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky open up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by the four corners to the ground. And there were in all of its kinds, four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Notice the religious tone. And again, a voice came. I don't know, Peter always needs three times. How many of us need three times? I know I'm that guy. Three times and I get it. So there's grace. Again, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times. And immediately the object was taken up into the sky. It's like, forget it. I'm, <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> no. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent out by Cornelius having asked directions for Simon's house appeared at the gate. I love how the Bible is just so real. I mean, he's just pondering. He's like, what in the world? Uh, all right, I need to go downstairs, get something to eat and get out of the house and, and hear this strange story. But get up, go downstairs and accompany them without misgivings for I have sent them myself. This gave somewhat of comfort to him. Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to this house and hear a message from you. So he invited them in and gave them lodging. Now, I will say this, that Peter was right in some ways. He was. God knew that. God had to give him this dramatic vision to wake him up so that he could see clearly that God had other plans and he was beginning the beginning workings of a unified international church, unbeknownst to Peter. How many know that there are certain things that God asks you to do that you just don't know? You know, half the times it's like that. He's asking you, oh, just obey this. And you're like, but why? And he just doesn't tell you right away. So at the very least, Peter is just, he's being carried away by the Holy Spirit. What a life that is. All of us are invited into that kind of life. What a wonderful life that is. I, I love the mystery of it. And you know, they could get to that point if we would just humble ourselves, realize life's not about us, we'd actually enjoy the mystery. The mystery is good. Now, Leviticus 20, 25 to 26 says, you are therefore to make distinction between clean animal and unclean 
and between the unclean bird and the clean. And you shall not make yourselves detestable by animal or by the bird or by anything that creeps on the ground, which I've separated for you as unclean. So Peter was just simply obeying the word. Thus you are to be holy to me, for I am, I am the, the Lord, I am holy. I'm sorry, I, the Lord, am holy. <laughs> and I have set you apart from the peoples to be mine. Now this is why it's important. Understand that God was not in any way compromising his moral law. So in other words, if God all of a sudden said, do not murder, and now he said, it's okay to do that, he would be compromising his moral character, and therefore you'd have every right to not trust him. Now in this context, he is now violating his ethnic laws, his di- the dietary laws uh, of, the, of the Jewish religion. Now how many know a Daniel fast is good? Right? Some of you guys do that. Some of you guys fast that way and have a Daniel fast, meaning just you eat fruits and vegetables for a season for about 21 days. You end up being healthy. You realize, wow, that was a benefit. But there's no law that you have to do that. It's just simply an invitation. And you know, some foods are unclean, but they're unclean physically. There's no morality to it. Right? There's nothing wrong and evil about eating a McDonald's burger, although it may come out differently than maybe a pineapple. But the reality is, you're no more evil in eating a pineapple than somebody that's eating, you know, McDonald's. There, there, food has no moral or non-moral qualities. In Mark seven fourteen to 23, it says, after he called the crowd to him again, he began saying, he was beginning to break down this concept. He began saying to them, listen to me, all of you, And understand, there is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone hears, uh, has ears, let him hear. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. They were curious because they were so tied up into Judaism. They understood Leviticus, so did Jesus. But Jesus was beginning to break that down so that they can begin to see. And isn't God like that? How many times that you don't get contrary to the charismatics who believe breakthrough is just in a moment. Breakthrough happens over time. And Jesus was beginning to see, to show them that breakthrough was beginning to happen over time. And he was beginning to plant the seeds while on earth so that the apostles in the New Testament, the book of Acts, can complete that breakthrough. I love the fact that God is pictured as a father because I believe that is more comforting to know that breakthrough happens over time because that fits more with the narratives of our lives, right? And we could actually have peace that if somebody had breakthrough today, Yours might come in the next few days, the next few months, and that's meant to encourage you. Jesus is simply just beginning to plant the seeds, and he says, are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him because it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach? And 
the stomach has no moral qualities. Right? And then is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying this, Peter's just like, I think at this point he was dreaming of his wife. You know, because it's just like, Jesus is speaking, he's probably just dreaming of home or he's distracted somehow. He forgot that Jesus himself said this because now in, he, Jesus had to not only just tell him that the, all foods are clean, but he had to give him a trance and three times they had to show him that, okay, Peter, don't you understand that foods have nothing to do with anything and that I'm breaking the barriers. I, he must have not understood that and he was saying that which proceeds out of the man, that was defiles the man. For from within out, oh, excuse me, for from within out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adultery, adulteries, deeds of covetousness, wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, evil, or I mean envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. It's about morality. It has nothing to do with food. Romans 14, 1 to 3. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Don't get caught up into the food here. Get caught up into the heart. That's the purpose of this. You know, I've, people were telling me, you know, even during this pandemic season, like, does this have to do with masks or not masks? It has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with God's heart. And so listen carefully to God's heart. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. The point is just seeing God's heart and breaking down this barrier that was there for thousands of years. It was so steeped in, they were so ingrained in this system that they just literally could not see God just continually ahead of, and that's the same with our lives. There's certain mindsets that we have that are so destructive to the church. And God is saying he wants to dismantle that and have that over time. And he understands that, and that's why he's been so gracious to us as a people. Colossians two sixteen and 17, therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of, of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, but the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of hypocrisy, and of liars seared in their own conscience, as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining for foods from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. 
you know, Peter was still confused and God would eventually clear it up in Cornelius' house. But I love Peter's faith and just saying, I'm just going to go where the Spirit goes. I'm going to go where he goes. Guys, there's much that we will never understand about this life. Some God will clear up. He will. And I'm thankful for that. It's just His grace. And it feels so great when you finally have understanding about your season and where God's taking you. But we do know so much. And how do we know? Through His Word. We're not in the dark about a lot. In fact, probably a very small percentage we are. Maybe who to marry or if we're going to have kids or what job should I have or many of those things in our life. And maybe perhaps am I going to be at Antioch forever? Or am I going to be transferred? Am I going to be going overseas? Am I going to, you know, those things are up to the Lord and you don't know those things. And certainly some prophet's not going to tell you. But God wants you to journey with him because that's where the fun in life is. To him, that's where the fun is. To us, that's not fun. But he doesn't want us to look at that that way. Why would he say, this is fun, this is life, this is the way I made you? If I wanted you to know everything, I'd make you, I'd make you God. I want us to look at as a church, I want, it to, I want us to really see that the adventure is in the unknown. But he's given us enough known to keep us moving, to not despair at night. Number two, and this is heading number two. So if heading number one is God prepares the heart for salvation, A would be Cornelius' preparation. B would be Peter's preparation. <laughs> two is God is looking for a submitted heart, those who would obey him. Hopefully you're following along. Hope so. Are you? Okay, good. <laughs> it's hard without the screen, but this trains, I guess, your mind to listen better and for me to communicate better. Uh, <laughs> okay, let's pick up in uh, verse 23. And on the next day, he got up and went with them. And some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Now, you know, I love Peter's wisdom. We are never to do ministry alone. You, should, you get that? If you can avoid it. Now, of course, you're in the break room and somebody's in there and you're sharing the gospel. That's different. But if you're ever going out, that's why we always go two by two. And, and even when we're praying for girls, as long as you have another girl, if you're a guy, and you're praying for girls, have another girl with you. And this is not because we're tr- untrustworthy. It's just, it's, it honors them. And there is a culture there. But we, we're to do ministry openly, uh, not privately, unless, you know, you're in a counseling situation, but there's somebody else there to, to minister to, to intercede. There's wisdom. And Peter knew that if there was no witnesses, the Jerusalem council would never believe me. And perhaps he didn't even know that. He probably didn't. He's Peter. (laughs) But by the sovereign grace of God, it teaches us in a very descriptive manner to 
grab other people with you. On the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So see, God wasn't just interested in saving Cornelius. He wanted to save more Gentiles. When Peter entered, Cornelius met with him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. Now, whoa, wait a second. (laughs) Now here, a lot of us were like, whoa, I would never do that. Yes, you would. I mean, the Apostle John, who was with Jesus and was with him for three years, got to write the book of Revelation when he was caught up in the spirit. He himself multiple times fell down and the angel's like, (laughs) you might want to get up now. (laughs) It's like, we all would. This always cracks me up when someone says, I saw an angel. Really? What did you do? If it's not die, pee in your pants, or bow down, then you didn't see an angel. Clearly. Those are the... (laughs) It's the framework. (laughs) In that order, yes. Uh, (laughs) We all would. And Peter just simply says, you know, if this ever happens, you know, by the way, this is how you respond. But Peter raised up and said, saying, stand up, I'm just a man. And he talked with him. And he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is. It is for you, for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or even to visit him, to come into his house, which I mentioned earlier. And yet God, yet God, but God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. What a great statement. You know, that's the church we want. One of humility. You know, so many of us come in here and we think we could lead the church better. You can't. Not, Not saying that in comparison with us or the leadership we have, but no one is better than anyone else. In fact, we just need to have an attitude like Peter that he just had such humility in this moment he stated the facts look by the way this is really awkward I'm in your house I'm minding my own business by the way don't you love how God gave Peter the vision that would probably relate to him most he was hungry they were prepping food and he got a vision about food and God meets us where we're at he speaks to us in the language that we understand. And I love that about our God, who is but holy yet near. Really, that's Ricky's song, right? He's a holy, magnificent, powerful God, but yet so near to us. He's saying, look, the rules are, I'm not supposed to be in this house. The only reason I am It's because I was wrong. I was wrong. And I'm just as in the dark as you are. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen next. But I'll, what I do know is I'm wrong. I called things that God called holy, and I called them unholy. That is why I came without even raising any objections. 
which is almost borderline a lie, when I was sent for. So I ask, for what reason you have sent me? <laughs> Why am I here according to your human understanding? Cornelius said four days ago, to this hour I was praying in my house, and during the ninth hour, and behold, guys, I know there are nations right now that God is preparing. There are people in our neighborhoods that God is doing. Like, I just look at the preciousness of Cornelius's voice and he's just like, I don't know, four days ago I had this crazy vision. And I just want to know this God. I don't know him quite like you people do. Four days ago, to this hour I was praying in my house and during the ninth hour, behold, a man stood up before me in shining garments and he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Oh, what a delight that must have been. And your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. And he is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately and you have been kind enough to come. Now then we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Oh, what a delight it would be to show up somewhere in the nations and for a people to say, I've been waiting all my life for you. Would you just speak? Whatever you want. Don't you want that? That as God is preparing our heart even now, He is doing it. We got to get the gospel right. We got to grow in our faith. We got to know that the Word of God is inspired and inerrant and authoritative. We're pleading right now, and this is what this weekend's all about. We're pleading that, oh God, would you do what you did with Cornelius, would you do in their hearts so that when we get there, we see transformation? What a glorious, glorious gospel. Listen to this, John ten sixteen. I have other sheep which are not in this fold. This is Jesus speaking. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. God was laying the foundation down before this all happened. Deuteronomy 7, 10, 17. This is all under the banner of God shows no partiality. For the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. 2 Chronicles 9, 19, 7. Now then let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do. For the Lord our God will have no part in unrighteousness or partiality or taking a bribe. Job 34, 19, who shows no partiality to princes, nor regards the rich above the poor, for they all are the work of his hands. 
Romans 3, 29 and 30, or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. There is no prejudice in God's heart. You know, many of us grow up that way. We, we hear our parents speaking very foolishly, foolishly about certain ethnic groups or about perhaps India or the Indians or maybe uh, people from Africa or Asia and stereotype and whatever. And it's just ingrained. It's there. It's constantly before us. It's just evil, and what it does is it further hardens our hearts towards the nations. It's hard to, for our hearts to break, which is what leads us to a place of prayer if our heart is hard in stereotype and in prejudice, and it's so hard to get there because then all of a sudden we're doing it out of a place of duty. But equal to that is critical race theory and all this garbage from politics that doesn't fix the problem. It isn't about oppressed and oppressors. It's garbage. It's false. I don't want to ever have to go through that again. And we won't go through that again. (laughs) Because we have a stronger church than we did this summer. There's not one racist bone in our body. And if there is, deal with it. And by the way, there's no such thing as racism. It's a political term. There's only one race. That's the human race. We're not animals. There's only one race, and that's the human race. There's many ethnic groups, there's many languages, but there's only one race. Don't listen to the world. They can't fix anything. Barely the church can. All right, now the gospel. This is, you, you want to take some notes here. Because here's the deal. I don't want you evaluating your neighbor as if they get it right or wrong. As if they get it wrong and you're walking to go get some lunch. You're like, eh. It's like, what was that for? He just blew that one up. <laughs> don't do that. Don't make people feel that way, but have a conversation afterwards and ask with humility, how did I do? It doesn't have to be awkward. But again, here's a cultural piece. We need to make sure that we're always evaluating that. It's a matter of life and death, heaven or hell. Get over your pride. It's not about you and your performance. <laughs> if you could save somebody with your uh, talk. You can't. You could get it perfectly right and then perish. You could get it somewhat wrong and then get saved <laughs> because it's but God. It's about Him. But we do need to be faithful. We do. And we don't have any excuse, right? Because we have the Bible. It's written. I love that God wrote the Bible. 
that wasn't just spoken and we somehow, it's a verbal pass down. We could do that, but we always can go back to the written word to make sure we got it right. Because it's a matter of life and death. So salvation always begins the same way. It begins with God working on someone's heart. Number one, the Holy Spirit begins to work and it begins with repentance. No one can be saved without repentance. We don't adhere in this church to easy believism, which just means simply all you have to do is believe, although the Bible says that. But what we're saying with that, discriminating between the belief intellectually versus the belief supernaturally that God is God-given, right? Repentance has got to happen. John 16, 8 through 11, underneath that heading, because what Peter was not preaching in partiality, now give, this is very important. What Peter was not preaching was universalism. Said he accepts all. He's not saying like, oh, you know, God just uh, changed his mind one day. And, he, you know, Jews come to faith this way because, you know, they were really stubborn and they still have to go through this route. Versus all of a sudden this new people, all these new people, they come in a different way. As if God feels bad for those in China or those in Afghanistan because of their life. Look, you know, it, is, it, it sounds horrendous to know that somebody is in, in the in Calcutta near the river and there's dead bodies flowing through the river. And they have a horrific life on earth only to have more horrific life in hell. I don't understand it. I don't get it in my human mind. That should break us. But listen, don't let your mind wander there to say, oh, because they've had a hard life, maybe God would be gracious to them. He won't. There's only one way of salvation. And it means forsaking all the 365 million gods of Hinduism for one. That's hard. But that is absolutely truth. And in our human minds, I'm telling you, I've done it myself. I have done that myself. I've said, well, maybe. Well, maybe. You know, people leave the mission field. It happened in France. It happened within our movement. People just, they, they got with the French people. They fell in love with them. They loved them. They cared for them. And they wouldn't come to Christ. They were stubborn. They were hard. And they would just, they would watch their families. They would watch how human they are. And they would say, I've got to leave the mission field. I can't take it anymore. I don't think I actually believe in this stuff anymore. I don't think I even believe in hell anymore. There's no way a loving God would send those people to hell. They're just like us. It can happen to anybody. That's one of the most frightening things for us to all of a sudden take our human mind and do exegesis with the word of God instead of exegesis. So it's prideful thing a human could do is take their thoughts and drive it into the scripture rather than exegeting. That happens all the time. Who are you? <laughs> You're nothing. 
God sets the standard for salvation and we can't tweak it. Which means what? We must go. We must go. There's no other option. There's no other way. That's the only logical option. Do you know the only logical option to an inerrant word is to preach it line by line? The only, only logical answer to a lost and dying world is to go. And that's what we're doing. That's the only thing that makes sense. Acts eleven eighteen. God has granted to the Gentiles also repentance that leads to life. First, Second Timothy two twenty five. God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. There is no other way. Repentance. They must turn from their lifestyle to a living and true God. You cannot have your cake and eat it too. The second part is we need to go to the hungry. Cornelius was a setup. <laughs> it was easy. In fact, do you know the gospel message? How simple it was. Let's read it. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right, welcome to him. God is looking for the soft and he's do- he does the work. He looks for it and does the work. <laughs> Don't understand how that all works together, but the word which he sent to the sons of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea starting from Galilee after baptism, which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went along doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. We are witnesses of all these things. He did both in the lands of the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted him, or he that become visible, not to all the people, but to the witnesses who were there or who were chosen before him by God. That is to us who, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly testify that this is the one who has appointed by God and, and as judge of the living and of the dead and of him, all the prophets bear witness that through him, through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. We are going after the hungry. Second, uh, Second Corinthians 6, 2, for he says, the, at the acceptable time I listened to you and on that day of salvation I helped you, behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. God was working already in Cornelius' heart and it was, he's an easy catch. You know, it was a little different. Look at Peter's sermon in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Look at what he was before the Sanhedrin and look now when he was before Cornelius. Totally different. Same gospel message, but he, he didn't twist scriptures, but he formed it and so the Holy Spirit formed it through his lips in such a way that would meet them where they're at. And I believe that we need to be focused on the person that we're speaking to. Know your audience, but be clear with the gospel. Sometimes you don't have to go through all the, you don't have to be a robot, or I have to go through, don't do that. I get the moves from Rebecca. (laughs) 
little payback from last night. She's feisty one she last night. <laughs> I did start it. We're both from an Italian descent, and we like to poke at each other often. Um, number three, Peter pointed to Jesus, Jesus' heart to reconcile. After you establish the fact that they need to repent and why they need to repent, after you see where they're at spiritually, you then release the fact that Jesus, yes, indeed does love them and wants to reconcile with them. 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to them or to, to us the word of reconciliation. Colossians 1.20, through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say whether things on earth or things in heaven. Number four, Peter described Christ's powerful ministry. You need to talk about Jesus. I know that's like, oh yeah, no, no kidding. But I've been out there many times with people and there's no talk about Jesus. Like actually describe Jesus. Talk about how, just as if you know him, as if you're like, you're just friends with him. You're like, you know, hey, this Jesus, you know, he would walk the earth and he would heal people. He'd raise people from the dead. He'd, he'd feed loads of people. And if they're like, ah, I'm, not just, I'm not interested, then you know you haven't gotten the right guy. Don't waste your time. Do not throw your pearls to swine. Not worth your time. Don't give that to them. Walk away. Because somebody wants it out there. Somebody is being prepared. And if you're prepared, just find the one who's prepared. I'll tell you, we'll be a lot more uh, productive when we do that. We'll have loads of testimonies. So many. I heard Cole and Eli, they were out and they saw salvation. Right? I mean, it was a, I don't know if it was, he's like, I don't know if it was like genuine or not, but they seemed hungry. They seemed to accept this message. He about, what is he, like 19 or 20 years old? Something like that. We don't know if people, we, we, I mean, we sometimes get all caught up into the, the testimony and we're trying to wow everybody and we're trying to um, just conjure up some sort of emotion to get everybody going. We don't need that. What's that necessary? When the genuine comes along, that'll all produce great joy in us. And when it doesn't, we still have joy because our names are written in the book of life. We're always successful when we unleash his word, but we need to be discerning. Matthew 3, 16 and 17, when he got out of the waters of baptism, he began to be empowered and you see in the life of Jesus, he was starting his Galilean ministry and he healed all those who were oppressed by the devil. Of course, that's what verse 38 says here. 1 John 3, 8, I love this. The one who practices sin is of the devil for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The son of God appeared for this pers- purpose, underline, to destroy the works of the devil. That's what we're called to. And by the way, that doesn't mean make a scene. It doesn't mean to be loud as if, Somehow demons respond to a voice change. They don't. It might get uglier, actually. 
but it's simply they respond to truth. They respond to confidence in the sons and daughters of God speaking the truth. And truth sets people free from bondage. Not just some sort of think, oh, it sets me free. It's from bondage of sin. Mindsets. Number five, if Peter pointed to his death, we're going to be closing here soon. Peter responded, I'm sorry, Peter pointed out to his death, burial, and resurrection. No one could be saved without that. No one could be saved without the resurrection. In both in action and in belief. Both in the historical event and in your heart. Right? 1 Corinthians 15, 5 and 8 says, Jesus appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, then to the twelve, and that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now. So there's proof, there's witness. But some have fallen asleep, and then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. What humility, Paul. 1 Corinthians 15, later on in the chapter 12 and 19 says this, and this is key. Now, if Christ is preached and that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is also in vain. It means nothing. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God then because we have testified against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise. If, in fact, the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is absolutely worthless. You are still in your sins, and ultimately you'll perish. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. We are utter fools. Why do we not preach the resurrection? It is the most distasteful thing that a prideful human being can hear. That someone had to die a horrible death for me and then raised from the dead? Come on. But when they're ripe, they cling. And they're actually hoping that this man did indeed raise from the dead. And he did. In fact, I love what Peter just threw that little ad on. He said he ate and drank. Because during that time, people believed that, that if perhaps Jesus was a ghost. And if he was a ghost, then certainly he couldn't eat. Because it, I mean, it would be kind of funny, right? You put the fish in the mouth and it would just drop to the floor. But if he was indeed the resurrected God-man, in the flesh, which he came back, bodily resurrection, which has to do has everything to do to our salvation. He ate and it digested. And he added that little part in there for all of us to say, oh, he must have been raised from the dead. And if he has, then he truly has defeated sin in my life and death, the ultimate last enemy in Hebrews 2. In Hebrews 2. That means we don't have to be afraid. No fear. Oh, I long for a church, and so does God long for a church that has no fear. 
Number six is that he mentioned also that Jesus is a judge and likewise so should you. That he will judge. You'll either be judged or welcomed. And it says in Acts 17, 30 to 31, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to man that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the, the world in righteousness through a man, capital M, Jesus, whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. You know, what got the disciples most in trouble was mentioning not their sin, but that he has been raised from the dead. The resurrection is what got them persecuted, thrown in prison, beaten, and ultimately killed. Because you know why? Satan is no fool. He realizes the only way someone gets saved is to trust in the resurrection of Jesus. That's why I can't stand preachers that just talk about Jesus as if he's some sort of example. Oh, just be like Jesus. Watch it. Watch the message. I mean, just listen to the garbage. That just is it's like, oh, just Jesus wants you to be this or this. Model after Jesus. I mean, he is a model. But before he's a model, he's a savior. That's who he is. That's the only way they'll be saved. They will, not one person will be in heaven because they looked at Jesus as a model. But as a savior. It is the savior. In fact, In order for him to be the savior, he has to be a great model. And not only a great one, but a perfect one. And then number seven, Peter mentioned that the prophets also were speaking of Jesus. And so bring in the Old Testament. Get to know Isaiah 53. Get to know, uh, I'll rail some off, and uh, Zechariah 13 or Jeremiah 31 that this was planned way before Jesus actually came 2,000 years ago. Probably be better than anything they're reading. Peter mentions how one can be saved by this. By the time this is all over, by the time you've given an outstanding gospel message, do you know the only thing you have to say? You know, everyone who believes in him will be saved and forgiven and all their heart will melt you know sometimes i wonder i i i was talking to my cousin in california the other day he moved back to california i was he's living with the man who gave me the track 20 years ago this blue track that i have in my drawer september 2000 and you know as i was i brought it out and i looked at it and i I hadn't read it in a long time, but I was thinking, how in the world did I get saved from this? <laughs> I, I mean, this is just bizarre. I mean, certainly our, our gospel tracks are way better than this. But in my scribble, I just circled yes. It had yes or no, yes or no. It's kind of a, actually, it's a good way to, do you believe this? Yes or no? <laughs> no, okay, then we'll move on. <laughs> but,
And whatever reason, by the grace of God, I believed it that day. You know, no one gets saved unless you go into Jesus. It is, the, the, the Greek word is not just you saved by faith. It's not necessarily that, oh, I believe in Jesus, like as if I believe in this person. I believe into Jesus. I go into, into his life. It's a lifelong pursuit of him. That's salvation. That's why it's ignorant and foolish and it, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. I'm like hearing people on the street saying, oh, I have a relationship with you. Well, then tell me your life. Well, I've just been away from him. I'm just not really interested. Then you're not saved. Because when you are, you only, see, when, when, I, when you're at the airport, you're in the lobby or the, the little gate, whatever, you're sitting down and they call your number and you get on the plane. And then all of a sudden, if I just had my dangling little toes at the threshold between the jetway and the airplane, I'm going nowhere. I'm going nowhere. I might think I'm going to New York. But unless I get on that plane, buckle my seatbelt, get in the chair, and we take off, I am going nowhere. I have to get into the plane. I have to get all the way into him. Do you understand what it means to be saved? This is clear. And if you today, this morning, or this afternoon, if you haven't gotten into Jesus, then you're not saved then you need to be saved this morning. Because I think some of us have just believed in Jesus. Oh, but you haven't believed into him. You need to get into Christ. You know how people are into games or into, you're going to get all the way into him. It is not just some sort of ticket that I have for heaven. Oh, good, I got that. It's resolved and now for the job, not for the wife, not for the, No. That's not how it works. It's all the way into. Get on the plane, sit down, buckle the seatbelt, and let the Lord take you for a ride. Amen? (laughs) All right. Okay. Jess, I just just need a few more minutes because this is important. Okay. Are you good? Are you all right? Just hang with me. Uh, uh, that section's done, number four. Spirit is, is received. I'll just have to read 44 to 48 and we're done. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. They were amazed. Like, oh, wow, this is actually happening. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing to hear a message and then respond. It's another thing to see, literally see the Holy Spirit falling on people. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for those to be baptized. Clearly you're saved. And who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. I love that. Just as we did. That struck me when I was reading this the first time. Just as we did. Do you remember Pentecost? That's what he was referring to. Oh, we had that glorious... It wasn't just a message. That totally transformed our life. I'll never forget that day when all of a sudden everybody just you know, talking in all these different tongues that these people and people were getting saved. I was like, who would forget that day? But you know what? That day, God was preparing them for something else. 
It was just like, they were like clueless. They're like, this is cool, whatever. I mean, but he was preparing. That didn't happen. Did you notice that never happened to the Samaritans in Acts 8? It never happened to them, did it? Acts 8, they had to wait for Peter to come and what? Give, pray for them so they could receive the Holy Spirit. And why the delay? Because they needed an apostle to recognize, to be a witness, to say the Samaritans were saved today. But people happened to actually be there on the scene for the Gentiles. And many people take this argument and they, they, they twist it to mean there's a second blessing or there's something more for believers. No, 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 no. These people were clearly not saved. And the only reason why they didn't have to delay and the Holy Spirit, boom, fell on them was because Peter himself was preaching. They didn't have to wait for him to come and observe. He was there. And why they had such a dramatic experience is Peter says it very clearly. He says it, oh, I finally get it. I finally get the vision. God was taking the unclean animals and the clean animals and he was putting them under one roof. And they had the exact same experience, no difference. Can you imagine if God poured out his spirit on the Jews and just simply just didn't do the same for the Gentiles? They would walk around still today saying we're on the outside, but we're on the inside. This salvation is meant for the world. It is an international God and Father and an international salvation message and an international church. That is clear. Contrary with the charismatics, absolutely, utterly destroyed this message and made a mess of the church. And I'm serious. Why? Because they said that you don't, it's the, it's the religion of haves and haves nots. And they divided the church, which was once actually united, they divided it again. Through a misinterpretation. Guys, let me say this. Please interpret your Bibles correctly. God was, you missing the point that there is only one baptism. Romans 8 and 9 says, however, you are not in the flesh, but of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. You either have it or you don't. It's not a partial thing. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, there's only one baptism, one spirit. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, you're made to drink of one spirit. Clear. Jude 19, these are the ones who cause divisions, worldly mining, devoid of the spirit. Listen, the reason why I'm on this little, little uh, complaining div- divisive thing, because if you're dividing the church, you clearly don't have the spirit. <laughs> Doesn't get more clear than that. Samaritans, the Gentiles are one church, and Peter had to come down to visit the Samaritans and say, yep, that's the same experience. And Peter was there, eyewitness account along with six others and now we get into chapter 11 tomorrow morning and realize even more beautiful God's heart for the church and unifying his church. What a glorious, glorious day. Look at this, I I love this. He says, and he ordered them to be baptized in in the name of Jesus Christ and then, listen, they asked him to stay on for a few days the barriers have been broken. And now one church where it would never, they would never ever even dream of having a Bible study in their house. I'd like to make a proposal 
that this perhaps could have been the very first Bible study. Fellowship, potluck. I mean, the Italians are there, right? The Italian whole... You know it's going to be good. Jewish meets Italian. It's amazing. And they had an incredible time together. And speaking of food, we're about to eat. But I'm going to pray. We're not going to have a ministry time. We'll do that. Uh, we'll do that later. We'll do that tonight and tomorrow. But I hope you're encouraged this morning. The word of God is so beautiful. So amazing. Fall in love with him and his word. Father, I thank you for all that you've done and all you're going to do in the international church. You're an international father. In fact, it says in Revelation, I love God reading that, just all the colors and all the, the, all the different arrays of colors coming from the throne room and how colorful you are and how beautiful you are. You are one who created beauty and you call the nations beautiful. Though they've chosen sin, they've chosen to rebel against you. They've chosen other religions, but yet you're still patient with them that you desire none to perish. And God, may we join that beautiful, amazing purpose. Oh, I want to be a part of that. Break our hearts for the lost. I wish we had more time. I wish we just had more time to even pray for the nations and just talk about the different places in the world that you long to save. But God, let us get the gospel right this afternoon. Let us not be embarrassed or ashamed. Of, it says in Timothy that get the, you know, study the word and get the gospel right so you're, you're a workman approved and not ashamed. I don't want to be ashamed. We don't have to be. Help us to humble ourselves and continue to sharpen each other and get better at sharing because there's a long way to go for a lot of us, including myself, and I know that you're with us and that's truly where the power's at. But help us to study, help us to know your word so that we might unleash it and see transformation. May we be like Peter, Peter and be prepared and may we pray for the Corneliuses of this world to be prepared also. In Jesus' name, amen.